All right. Welcome back to the Thrive Theology podcast for part four of our series on missions and missionaries. Um, We are excited to get to wrap up this series. We've enjoyed it so far. We hope you have too. And we're going to be doing a lot of little wrap-up topics in this fourth part of our series. We're going to be talking about whether we should financially support non-Christian ministries and nonprofit organizations. We're going to be talking about how to participate in missions well, um, some of the different challenges that come with doing missions, and we also are going to be talking about now what. We're going to um, we're hoping to give you some really practical steps you can take if you have been feeling a little bit convicted maybe by this series about how much you are participating in missions, or if this whole series has just been kind of leaving you feeling a little bit concerned and hopeless about the missionary effort after our second parter, um, the second part of our series, which was kind of a downer. Hopefully the third part perked you back up, but we're going to be talking about um, what we can do now practically um, in terms of supporting missions around the world. Um, We hope you're going to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, you can do so to automatically download each week's new episode. And if you'd like more information, you can find that information on our website at thrivetheology.com. All right, let's dive in. Like Emily said, this is going to be a lot of like rapid fire type issues that we're going to address. And the first one is, should we financially support non-Christian efforts? Now, we think that this is a matter of conscience. As believers, we are called to prioritize spreading the gospel. But if you have to choose between supporting a Christian gospel preaching organization and a purely humanitarian organization, we think you need to prioritize the organization that is preaching the gospel. There are a lot of ministries out there that are doing both gospel work and humanitarian work well. And just a note here, there are some people, like there is the phrase that you can do everything you want for somebody's physical body, but if you never tell them the gospel and they never accept Christ, they're still going to spend eternity in hell. So you need to actually preach the gospel. But the other end of it, which we talked last week about the Salvation Army, is that what what use is there in preaching the gospel to somebody who's starving? <laughs> you have to have, it's a both and um, issue. And James talks about that in his letter as well. Like he actually says, you know, that your faith has to be proven by your works. And he says, you know, what's the point if you have a starving brother or sister comes to you and you say, go be warm and be filled and you haven't actually helped them. Like well, there's no point in that. So that brings us to how do we participate in missions well? So here are just a few things that we've thought of. I'm sure there's more. We're just scratching the surface here. But in the mission field, if you are in the mission field, um, we need to do exactly what we would do in our healthy local church, which is submitting ourselves to scripture and the Holy Spirit and fellow believers. We need to be held accountable by the Bible, by the other believers around us, especially more mature believers. And we constantly need to be walking with the Holy Spirit. And doing this will make sure we stay humble. It'll make sure we stay on track and it'll make sure that we are encouraging and building up other people. We also need to pray a lot, like a ton. (laughs) Um, We always, always need to be in prayer so that we are staying in constant communication with God. And then we also need to stay in constant communion with God, allowing him to convict us of sin, keeping short accounts with him. When we do something wrong, we need to repent of that immediately. Um, Because the only way that we are going to stay out of falling into some of the prideful um, situations that those who have gone before us have fallen into is to stay really close to the Lord um, and make sure that we are doing his work and not our own. 
If we're supporting from home, we also need to pray a lot. <laughs> um, we need to be praying a lot for the international workers that we're sending and the missionaries that are going out. If there's anything I've learned by talking about some of the bad examples of missionaries is that we need to check out an organization before we support it. Um, we need to check out its priorities, see if it's on track biblically, see if what they're doing is actually helping people. Um, because if if we're giving to support an organization that is ruining people's lives, that makes us complicit. And that that's really uncomfortable to hear. Um, but we need to check out an organization before we start supporting it financially. Um, once we know an organization is legit and is godly, we need to give generously to support the work that God is doing. Um, and of course, you know, not everybody is in the same financial position, but we need to give as much as we are able to, not under compulsion, but with a generous and glad heart. Next, we're going to talk about syncretism. So syncretism is the fusion of diverse religious beliefs and practices, and that's from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, this is a difficult line because the cross-cultural missionary brings their own culture along with the gospel, and the new Christian brings their own culture to the table. So this, this problem would be a missionary who is European going to Africa, and they can't leave behind their European culture and when they enter this new one. And so when they bring their culture, it's hard to, it can be hard to separate culture from the gospel when you're strictly talking about the gospel. Well, this person in Africa who is being um, evangelized and who comes to Christ, they're bringing their own culture too. So we have to make sure that we're not mixing religions, but we're also not requiring cultural conversions as well. Um, an example of fusion of diverse religious beliefs is actually Sikhism. So Sikhism is actually a fusion of Hinduism and Islam. Um, it's when these two religious beliefs clashed and out came a brand new religion. We also have examples of this when we talked about bad examples of missions, when the Europeans would go to the Native Americans and make them dress European, talk European, cut their hair European, eat European food, along with the gospel. Because that doesn't really matter. The Native American culture is not better or worse than the European culture. It, that's not the point. The point is the gospel. So you have to be aware in missions that you're not, that the, that the person who's coming to believe in Christ doesn't just add Christ to their religious beliefs already, that, but they actually understand that this is a completely new belief. The thing that I said at the beginning that you said was gobbledygook, you can just cut all that. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to just briefly discuss um, physical needs versus spreading the gospel. So we kind of already touched on this, but we're just going to go a little bit more in depth about which one is more important. So there are two ways to do this wrong. We can only address physical needs, as Bethany said, and try to sneak the gospel in, or we can spread, focus on spreading the gospel and then telling those in need that all they need is the gospel. Um, and we know that neither of these views is, is correct. Jesus preached the gospel and called people to repentance. He did not apologize for that. He didn't try to cushion it, but he also healed and fed the hungry. Um, Jesus condemned those who came to him only for entertainment, who came to him only to see the miracles. And he refused to do miracles for people who were not interested in repentance and faith. Um, now, of course, this is Jesus and he knew their hearts. And we're not saying that, you know, if somebody is like, eh, I don't know about the gospel, like you shouldn't feed them. We're not saying that. Um, but for Jesus, those two things went together. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier for James, faith and works went hand in hand. He was like, if you say you have faith and it's not showing in your works, you don't really have good, real faith. Um, so our concern for others to hear the gospel should motivate us to also see to their physical needs and take care of them. As a side note, we also need to be really careful about how we see to their physical needs, which is something that we discussed in our second podcast episode on this series, um, where we asked the question, like, are we actually helping these people or are we only providing patchwork solutions and making them more dependent on us as foreigners? Next, we have challenges and missions. And this is, again, kind of a patchwork thing. Um, first is that not enough, we don't have enough willing to go as missionaries. I'm going to read for you Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 39, which say, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Um, and there are people who need to hear the gospel that do not have the way to do that right now. That is wrong. Like we, there needs to be more missionaries that are in the world. Um, and yes, we can discuss over what's the best way to get the gospel to people. Um, but bottom line, people need the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Um, a subset of this problem is I had an epiphany. I'm on Twitter. I use it to keep tabs on politics, different religious people I follow. Um, and there has been an, a discussion lately about fear tactics. The fear tactics and emphasis on safety and influence that are employed in our culture have negatively affected the mindset around going on mission. If you think about like radio stations, safe for the whole family, move to the right, correct neighborhood so your kids will be safe. Don't go down that street. It's not safe. Don't expose them to this idea. It's not safe. If we are prizing our own freedom, our own comfort, our own influence, why would we go to unsafe or uncomfortable places? If we are prizing safety above most things for our children, why would we encourage them to go to the nations where it's different and not safe and they won't have that barrier around them? Um, and this is a problem now, especially because we want to insulate, our, insulate ourselves from these issues in our country. Within recent political events in the United States, we have felt those effects here in Canada. Um, and it has caused many people to fear, especially what happened on January 6th with the insurrection, that, well, that could happen here. Well, honey, do you know how many places in the world that happens on a daily basis? Like there are unsafe places and just being safe should not be our priority. Um, John Piper actually came to preach at Liberty University when I was there. And I didn't know who, how big he was then, but I, and I wish I knew now, but his, his message was, you will never die. If you are a Christian, you will never die. So go do what he's calling you to do. Like you're safe in his hand as long as you're doing his will. Um, and that's, I think, an important lesson or realization for our culture is that safety is not a priority. God is holding us safe. He cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. He cares for you. He will protect you um, as long like where you are. Secondly is where are the single men on mission? Of missionaries worldwide, two thirds are married. 
and one third are single women and the rest are single men. That is to say almost none. Um, I think this may be a reflection of the gender breakdown in the wider church as well. So that's just a, a question. Where are the single men? How can we influence these people to now go take the gospel? One guideline encouraged by some is that sending churches should evaluate missionaries and then hold them to a certain standard. There are qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, and people sent as missionaries should fulfill these requirements should fulfill these requirements. Thinking behind this is that these missionaries are going to, one, evangelize, two, disciple, three, um, build healthy churches, and four, work in leadership development within these churches. These are all important tasks that need a mature, responsible Christian who is qualified. If a church wouldn't hire a person on staff, then maybe they shouldn't be sent as a missionary. And this is really a call to train our missionaries well and make sure that we're sending people who are equipped for the task. One of the challenges that missionaries can face is proving that they are worth the money set, uh, that is spent to support them. Um, and this can be kind of, you know, a bit of pressure when they come back to give a report and this church has been sending them money for the last couple of years to support them. They can also struggle with trying to figure out how much of their previous church experience they should implement in the new culture, like having a standard of orthodoxy. Um, so for example, if you're from a Baptist church and you go and establish a church in Africa where dancing is part of worship, but you've never seen that, you might feel like that's ungodly or unbiblical, when really that's just a cultural difference. Another challenge that missionaries can face is how to define success. Um, what constitutes success in missions? Like William Carey, for example, it took him six years to have his first convert in India. Um, Jim Elliott, when we shared about him, he died with his second attempt at establishing contact with this native people group. So how do we define success? And is there a time frame to define that success? It can be really difficult to measure success when man's success is not the same as God's success. Um, language and cultural divides, that kind of goes without saying, but those are also you know, a really big deal for missionaries to try and overcome. We can also deal with double standards in the missionary field. Um, one pertinent example is that, you know, maybe in our local churches, we don't allow women to teach or preach, but if it's a missionary, then they can go and they can preach and teach um, the native populations that they're evangelizing. Um, another question, are we sending missionaries to countries where they already have a well-established local church, where there is already a really large percentage of Christians? Um, so do they really need us to be going there if there's already um, a large Christian base? According to research from Gordon Conwell Seminary's World Christian Encyclopedia, there is 29%, which is 3.23 billion people, of the world's population that have no access to the gospel or to Christians. Of the world's missionaries, only 3% go to this group in a cross-cultural way, and only 1% of the givings from churches are designated for this group of 3.23 billion people. The question is now what? We've given you a lot of information about um, missions and missionaries, and what. And now we're going to kind of hopefully pull it all together and give you some 
practical tips or information. First is cultivate a love for the nations and a global perspective. We can't love what we don't know. So this is important for people who have kids, um, discipling your children to love the nations and understand the world, like have a world map on your wall, (laughs) point out where missionaries live. Um, If you have the ability to do so, travel. It's also important for teenagers to show them the world outside of North America because teenagers can get very caught up in the culture that they live in. I'm saying do this for kids, do this for teenagers, but it's important for all. It helps us to move outside our bubble and to see beyond our own culture. It aids in breaking down nationalistic ideas and seeing other cultures as just as valuable as our own. This global perspective, like I've lived in North America my whole life. I remember meeting missionary kids when I was in university who were sent to Liberty there and they just had this huge perspective. They had so much more experience. They saw the world as a globe. They didn't see the world as, as North America. And that was new to me. Also read the stories of missionaries and see what God has done through his people in the past. That's very encouraging. And of course, share the gospel where you're at. Not being a missionary doesn't get you out of this. You still have to do this. The other thing we need to do is ask God if he wants you to be a sender or a goer. Each of us is called to be one of these, either sending or going. Um, The only other option here is disobedience. Um, Senders um, need to support um, the people who are going in prayer. They need to support with monetary funds and other support, like raising awareness for the need. Um, A good way to do this is to research mission organizations and then support those who are honorably carrying out missionary work. Again, we mentioned um, that it's important to research these organizations before we support them. If you have skills that can actually help send missionaries, then this is really helpful. The current technological environment means that we can do so much and we need skilled tech people to help, Um, like putting Bibles on USB drives to send to North Korea or creating internet resources for closed countries. Um, And of course, you also have the classic uh, retired ladies knitting and then selling things to, to support missionaries as well, which is really, um, which is really wonderful. I know that, There's lots of people who have come up with a lot of creative ways to support missionaries. Um, And then if you are a goer or somebody who is actually going to these people groups and preaching the gospel, um, it's really important to prepare for what God might be calling you to do. Um, You need to learn languages and get the education. Um, You need to allow God to develop your character. It's a good idea to research the history of missions. And of course, hearing from other missionaries and getting training, et cetera, is going to be really, really helpful as well. Um, you need to discern where God is sending you and then carrying, carry out that call in a respectful manner worthy of the calling. And of course, if this is something that you are seriously considering, I think Bethany and I would both highly recommend that you find a reputable mission organization that has been sending people and adequately preparing them and has a really good solid history of doing that well. Um, and then, of course, joining them. Um, you know, you hear the odd story of somebody who just kind of did missions on their own and was rogue and went out by themselves or with only one other person. Um, and they really did not have the support. And that generally doesn't usually go super well. We can look at the example of scripture, too, of how Paul spent seven years learning and preparing before he ever headed out on a missionary journey. And he was a Pharisee, like he had all of the law knowledge and all that stuff, but he connected himself to the church and made sure that he really thoroughly understood the gospel and that God had really worked in his heart and prepared him for that before he actually went out on his missionary journeys. 
Next, of course, um, and this is a personal issue as well as maybe a church or cultural issue. We need to guard against the white savior complex, which we talked about ex- like extensively in episode two. The Western church needs to be aware of the fact that in most cases, it would it's probably a national that would be best suited to reach the unreached people groups as they need less training and have less barriers for the gospel. Um, and of course, there are many people in history who have gone to a new new culture and impacted the culture greatly for the Lord. But currently, we have Christians in every continent, and we have the availability to have, for them to have to do less training because they're more familiar. This is, of course, um, a guideline, not a rule, and God can send whoever he wants, wherever he wants. We also need to reevaluate the short-term versus long-term missions trips. Um, is this the most effective way to spread the gospel and be truly helpful? Where are resources, where are the resources best used? We should reevaluate why we want to go. Do we have a skewed view of the need here versus the need there? An example of this would be Christians often romanticize the distant poor. Oh, look at these pictures of children from Africa with flies on their faces. We should help them while demonizing the poor on our own doorsteps. And that quote is from Craig Greenfield analyzing missions strategies to be the most effective. For example, ask local Christians how you can help. If you're going to Uganda, ask the Ugandan Christians how you can best help. Here's an example. There's a group of local Christians running an English school in Myanmar for Muslim and Buddhist children. They're not Christians, but their families want them to learn English and you can teach them whatever you want as long as you teach them English. Now, a missionary came and said, okay, well, how can we help? Expecting to say, oh, move here and teach English but they didn't need teachers to come teach English. They actually wanted theology books in English to help educate the students. Well, the Western world is moving to digitization and we have plenty of theology books to spare. That's a way we can practically help that's actually helpful to these people rather than assuming that we know the solution is sending a missionary. We also need to equip locals to secure gainful employment and give them the dignity of a job. We need to teach them how to do something rather than to just pay for them for, for that for them. Instead of giving stuff, help the local church to buy it from local sources. And this in this way we can support the local economy. Well, that was a lot of information. Thank you for sticking with us through all four episodes of our missions series. Um, as we close up here, we would love to have conversations with you or talk to you. If you have any questions or anything, you can always find us on our website. Um, also on our website, you can find our recommended resources. For this episode, we would like to highlight two missions organizations that are non-denominational. Um, if you feel God is calling you to missions, these would probably be a good place to start learning. Um, SIM International, SIM stands for Serving in Mission, is an international missionary organization, as well as Team of Canada. They're a global alliance of churches and missionaries. So we're going to link these, of course, in our show notes. You can find those as well as blogs um, and more information on our website, thrivetheology.com. You can find us on Instagram. Um, We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, We hope you join us next week for a new podcast.